So if you don't have this higher purpose, being able to go beyond ourselves, caring about others, seeing what's in it for others. And if we cannot go beyond our time and we want that instant gratification, you cannot lead. You cannot be this visionary person. You can push through and actually expand reality for everyone. You're listening to KBCast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Joining me today is Ashken Tashvia, CEO of Ingenesis, and is also the author of two times best-selling books. He's an investor, technologist, and venture builder. Today, we want to discuss Ashken's research, which led him on a journey about how human beings are being. So, Ashken, welcome. I'm excited to get into this today. I mean, this is an interesting interview because it's going to be like talking about cyber and tech, but also a little bit philosophical as well. So uh, thanks for making the time. Thank you very much, Chris. I'm very happy to be here. Okay, so I want to start with, you've written books about being, but one of the things I wanted to get from you is when you say how human beings are being, what do you mean by this? Okay, so yeah, when we're talking about being, basically we're talking about essence, nature, we're talking about the qualities that make us being human being. And these qualities basically derive our behaviors, the way that we decide, make, the way that we make decisions, and the way that we behave. So your being is your manner, is the way that you live life, is the way that you engage and participate in projects and things you do. And so when you, okay, so let, let's get into this a little bit more. So when you were coming up with the concept of being, do you think from your perspective, people don't really think about how human beings are being? Do you think people think about that much from your experience and your research? In the modern days, we are far more obsessed with what we can see, what is on the surface, which is behaviors, but we're not that interested in what drives those behaviors. That's the thing that I'm trying to revive or bring to our attention. So why do you think people aren't interested? Is it because we're living in this social media world now where everything's about how we look to the outside world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, in part, yes. We are more on the surface. We forge our persona. We want to be seen as we like. We tend to talk about the things that are more cognitive and tangible. Therefore, we directly go and talk about behavior. So do you think, I mean, if we look at before the internet was around, so before the 90s or late 90s, do you think people were more focused on how we were being? Do you think it's the rise of the internet age, which has sort of changed our thoughts, opinions, how we are as human beings? That has an impact. But see, you know, like if you want to look into it from a philosophical perspective, it's like more traditional philosophers, like essentialists, they were more into uh, how we are being, like, let's say, for example, Aristotle, he talks about arete, which is like basically disposition, the qualities of human beings. And then he talks about like the health of that relationship that we have with that quality. Let's say, for example, courage being a quality. And then he calls it hexis. And then gradually, as we go into the modern era, then we started thinking that it seems that human beings is not that objectively studyable. 
And that's basically the rise of existentialism. And we have people like Sartre, we have people like Nietzsche. So they see so much subjectivity with regards to each human being that it's not really that helpful to understand human nature. Yeah. So these are the two ends of the extreme, I would say. Now, in the postmodern era where we're living, uh, then philosophers like Derrida or Foucault, they even took that existentialist approach further. So simply put, it means that it's so much subjectivity and it's better not to really study human being in an objective manner. So that's the thing that I'm coming up and I'm saying that, well, there's layers of objectivity that can be studied. And then also there is this part that is very subjective and has to do with you as an individual. This whole discourse of being is bringing the attention of us that in down deep there, we're all of the same root. We do share lots of different qualities. We have heaps of similarities. See, for example, we relate to fear. Uh, we relate to anxiety. We all relate to care. Like these are the things, uh, the qualities that I call them moods or Martin Heidegger also calls them moods. That part is objective. But then we relate to them differently as individuals. And that makes it subjective. So I'm bringing the attention of people to all these similarities that we have makes us being a human being and then encouraging us to actually go deeper and then see how we as individuals and then later as teams in organizations, how we relate to them. And then the way that we relate to each of these qualities shape our perceptual system and gradually shapes the culture of that organization. And in great part, it determines our performance and effectiveness which leads to fulfillment of the intentions, objectives, goals that we set individually or as teams. Okay, now I want to switch gears and I want to get into trust. Now, in our cyberspace, we often speak a lot about building trust and being a trusted advisor. But from your perspective, what does this mean? And then I guess my second follow-up question would be, how do we then do this effectively? Because even when I'm asking people, like, what does trust mean? I found people... They struggle to answer that question. I mean, it's a hard question to answer, right? But I think you have an answer to this question, though. Indeed, it is a very hard question. The thing is, what leads to trust is integrity. Now, integrity is one of these words that is quite overloaded. Like it's being used like to refer to different meanings, different concepts. Some refer it to morality, being a good person, or some they think they relate to it as this thing that what you say and how you behave should be congruent, aligned. But when I talk about integrity, which basically results in trust and effectiveness, is you being whole and complete. What does that mean? It means that like any system as human being, we have different smaller components, which are called them aspects of being. Things like authenticity, things like courage, commitment, how you relate to compassion, how you relate to presence, amongst other qualities that I mentioned in the book. So all these constituent parts, they shape our integrity. Now, you would say that if someone has a relatively healthy relationship with authenticity, they're not lenient to just take whatever opinion. They're critical thinkers. They're, they're throat seekers. They have a healthy relationship with courage, with fear. They know how to deal with anxiety. Anxiety doesn't lead them to collapse, suppresses their expression of self and other qualities that having the, the ontological model in the books. If we do have healthy relationships with all these constituent parts, then we are whole and complete. 
So a person who is authentic, a person who is committed, the person who is courageous is an integrous person. Such a person can generate trust, can cause trust. Now imagine that if you have a team that their relatively polished and healthy being is running the show, as opposed to what I call shadow, the trouble side, the parts that are remained unintegrated or unpolished. The extent to which individuals or the teams let their shadows, those trouble sides to run the show, it's going to deprave the effectiveness and the trust in the team. You can again scale it up to the whole society. So when you say the unpolished side, what do you mean by that a little bit more? For example, let's say responsibilities being one of these uh, aspects of being. By responsibility, I don't mean like obligation or duty. By responsibility, I mean being primary cause of the matters in life. You being this active agent in your life, in the projects that you engage with, as opposed to you being this passive victim that apparently life occurs to you. So there are two sides to a unhealthy relationship. You, know, you can have two different unhealthy relationships with responsibility. On one side, if you're being this passive victim, or on the other side, if you're being this person who is like egocentric and putting yourself in the center of everything, you're as if you're the epicenter of the world, whatever you want should happen. You're this control freak that you need to be able to exert your power and will over everything. Now, if you take these two extreme ends of the spectrum, I will call them unhealthy relationship with responsibility. While in the middle, there is this, this state that you're this active agent in life. You know that like you, you can do your best to find the tiniest thread to hold on to and steer the direction when things going in the wrong way. For example, as a leader in your organization, and you don't let yourself to completely be the victim to the whole circumstances and then start sabotaging yourself, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So can you give some examples of polished versus unpolished like person would look like, like things that they typically do, characteristics, just so it makes it maybe a little bit more relatable for people listening that in terms of how people are and maybe that they can easily identify these types of human beings. So let's just stay with the responsibility as we mentioned. Yeah. Imagine that you're this leader, you're this professional. And things are not going really well in your project, the, the things that you want to deliver. The circumstances are leading the project, project to, the, to failure. A responsible person, or I would say a, a person with relatively healthy relationship with responsibility, would find whatever parts to own and influence. They don't just give up easily. They don't find themselves victim to the circumstances. Uh, they don't start blaming others. They they try to own it. And owning it, it's not like you're at fault or anything like that. Owning it, it's like, let me see where exactly I can go and own and change the direction. Yeah. So in that project, you will go and then you say, okay, so now here and here and here, there are a certain number of things that we can do so that we don't let the project fail. While if you don't have a healthy relationship with responsibility, let's say, then you just fall victim to that. And then you start blaming yourself and blaming others. And instead of responding appropriately to the matter, to change the direction, you may just react. It may lead you to be angry, aggressive, or et cetera, et cetera. 
So do you think in your research and in your experience, we do have a lack of trusted leaders, would you say? Well, we do um, because seeing our empirical data through the being profile, uh, all the data that we've gathered so far, people that have completed the assessment that we have, it's quite apparent that, for example, let's say the average score for things like assertiveness, confidence, responsibility are quite low, meaning that we don't really have many of us human beings being assertive having healthy relationship with confidence, similar to, for example, responsibility. Now, there are, particularly in the modern days, we have people that are occupying leadership positions while not being leaders. Do you think that that's more prevalent, though, in the tech space? And I only say this because, I mean, I've spoken to people at length and extensively about this, that people who are leaders, and they're not all people, but some of them who are like a... I don't know, a systems engineer, and then, you know, there was no one else, and then all of a sudden they're the leader because there was just no one else. Do you think that's the problem? Yes, I've spent quite a good amount of time in, I mean, the tech space. It is more amplified and more apparent because, for example, CTOs. Many CTOs are not necessarily coming from people-oriented leadership space, I would say. They were engineers or very competent, very competent, some of them exceptionally master in their field. But when it comes to people, they actually know very little. And that basically gets in their way, you know, like they need to communicate. They don't know how to deliver tasks. They don't know how to bring that leadership, generate that trust, create purpose, align people. So these are leadership qualities. Uh, which goes back to that you polish yourself and your aspects of being, yeah, as we were talking about. So yeah, it, in the tech space, many of the people that have occupied leadership positions, they're not being leaders. But the good news is they can be, or they can become. See, that's the thing. We're not saying that people are hardwired to be the way they are. As far as you care enough about it, and then you don't avert your gaze away from that very fact of how important it is to know, understand human being, you can actually go there and then you can, you can learn, you can transform yourself, you can bring your attention to your own shadow size, the parts that are remained unpolished, and also develop your sensitivity to see through the qualities of human beings, the people that you're hiring, the people that you're leading. Okay, so we spoke about that CTOs aren't the best communicators, et cetera. I mean, again, this is not everyone. This is, you know, some people out there. But why would people want to be in a leadership role then when a lot of it and most of it is about people and influencing? And I feel that a lot of people in the space seem to downgrade that position about communicating like it's soft skills and all of these um, airy-fairy, fluffy sort of um, ideas about leadership. Do you think that a lot of people are just in that role because, again, there was no one else? Or do you think people enjoy being in that role? Because th this is part and parcel of having a senior role, right? So I'm curious to know that we talk about a lot of people get into IT because they don't like human beings. But when you get to a certain level, it's actually all about the human being. So I'm trying to piece this together. Yeah, that's actually very interesting. These are the conversations I really love. So, so first of all, I didn't say all the... CTOs are not people oriented. I said many of them. Yeah. So it's not all. There are CTOs and CIOs and leaders I know that are 
really doing great job. And you can actually see it in the results that they're producing because you need to work with people. You need to build people, support people to build themselves, transform themselves, grow in order for them then to build the technology. And that's the uh, very fact that sometimes it gets overlooked. But going back to what you brought up, yes, you know, like sometimes people are being forced to take those positions. Yeah, it's imposed to them. Uh, sometimes because like, there is a lack of leader, then they need to show leadership all of a sudden without preparation. And sometimes it's like ego driven. It's like, yeah, I want to be the leader. Yeah? And some people think that being the leader is like sitting and putting your legs on the, the table and ordering, commanding people to do this and that while the reality is far away from that. And sometimes it's just like people think that, oh, I've done, I've been technician for long enough time. Then now where to go from here? And then they go, oh, you know, like I want to get a managerial role. And, and in that managerial role, then they need to bring lots of leadership qualities, especially nowadays. That's basically how they find themselves to be there. But yeah, so going back to the tech space, as you say, it's extremely important because at the end of the day, you need to be working with, with people, communicate with people to, in order to build those technologies and everything. Or for example, human errors can be there. So you can build the best firewalls and then you put best systems in place. But then you know that in the cyberspace, many of the severe issues around privacy, around like bridges happens because of human error, because there is this lack of care, because this lack of compassion around people's data. And now, like especially in the last decade, it has severe consequences, legal consequences for the directors uh, that are in charge if some such things happen. Now, and you mentioned something which was quite interesting, like what you said, soft skills. Like I would put it in quotation because uh, it, it happens. And our team at, at some point, for example, w was working with this particular organization, and they were dealing with tremendous amount of issues with their technology team. And then when the team proposed that, like, perhaps we need to start looking into their being and we need to do some team building and developing their leadership qualities, then go, I, you know, like what, you know, we want us to work on care, compassion, love. And, and, and these are very like soft traits, as they say, that's the very problem because they they refer to them as these soft skills or soft trait, uh, while not knowing that if you really want to create that bond amongst your team, if you really want to have a high-performing, effective team like sport teams, then you need to develop that kind of bond and care. Uh, you need to care about like the people that are in your team and are dealing with like anxiety. They're dealing with so many different things. If you let's say ignore that. If you neglect it, then it's going to have, whether you like it or not, it's going to have an impact in the performance of the thing. So yeah, so it normally gets overlooked, but in my studies of like the, the, the top achievers and many of the five under uh, fortune companies, in, when you look into their core team, you see how brilliantly uh, the team is really working beyond just hard skills. They're dependable, they're reliable. Uh, by the way, reliability is another quality that we have it in the model. So many of these qualities, you you clearly see that they're relatively polished and then that results in the effectiveness of whatever they're doing. Okay, so there's a few things that you mentioned that I, which sort of leads me to my next point uh, is, and I'd like to explore from your perspective, is 
in cybersecurity, we often say humans are the weakest link, right? So generally, good security awareness is created from the understanding of human beings. But from your perspective, you mentioned that we need to read human beings better. So like, how do we do that? Because what's often happened in our space is let's just keep Band-Aid solution with tech, 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 and then no one's really understanding human beings. No one's actually asking them about how do they like to learn? How do we teach them about security awareness? And this is something that I, in an event I did recently, and I was like, are we even asking people that work for us how they actually learn? Because how I learn is probably different to how you learn, for example. And then we need to be able to have tailor it to different types of people in our organization. I don't even think people are asking that. They're just saying, sit here, watch a video. Oh, you failed the thing. Oh, now you're on the non-compliant list. So I really want to get into this because I do not think in our space we've cracked it yet. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. See, the thing is human beings, the greatest assets, this is what I believe, they are the greatest assets to asset to any company at the same time, they can potentially be or become their greatest liability. And that's exactly why I'm bringing this conversation that see, we all have these shadow parts. We all have this unpolished side. Better to jump on them, grab them by the neck, interrogate them, try to see what we can do about it, address them and, and, and go ahead. Otherwise, it's going to create problems. It is already creating problems, the ones that are remaining unaddressed. Now, particularly like in the tech space, as you mentioned, so many of these, like in cyberspace, like many of these errors are human errors. So there's this lack of care, there's this lack of like compassion sometimes, like lack of commitment. All of these things can, can lead to disasters. Then the, the directors, they actually need to be addressing them. See, you know, like when we're talking about like the successful companies out there, Let's say if you look into what Jeff Bezos has to say or Elon Musk is saying, in many of their interviews, they talk about great people. Now, they, they say they talk about the importance of you having great people in your team, amazing people, talented people in your team. But what those terms are supposed to mean? What is a great person? What is an amazing person? This is the thing I was set out to discover. I wanted to know what. A, a great person would look like in that context. And as you can see, all those terms, great, amazing, are quite vague. I wanted to create this ontological model, which I did at the end, uh, depicting and mapping out these this qualities that matter. Now, you can take it like when you do a blood test, yeah? So if you do a blood test, so because on the surface, you see that, oh, you're not feeling very well, you're not performing very well, and then you go and then do the Blood, a blood test and then say, oh, see, your vitamin D uh, is low. Or for example, you have issues around this thing and that thing. Once you know that, then you can address it appropriately. So what I brought to the table with the ontological model part, basically a list of qualities that after all these, uh, watching all these interviews, reading through content and literature, I realized that these qualities are the most important qualities. There are 30 one of them. And once you realize that, uh, look into it from that lens, then you can, that, that awareness, that authentic awareness can lead you to go there and address that particular thing that it's getting in the way of integrity. You can address that, then it can lead to your effective performance. That's basically what I think one of the most significant things that the work that I've done around being is going to bring to the table. Okay. So one of the things I'm really curious about knowing now is 
and I've sort of already touched on it, is you mentioned how little we know about human beings, though. So why is that? Does that go back to sort of the start of the interview where pe- people are not focused as much on being, they're focused on how they look to the outside world? Like, why is that? Because, again, going back to if we understand human beings, we're going to create better security awareness programs. We're going to be able to communicate better. We're going to be able to communicate better with our leadership team and to a- able to communicate better to our CFO to get more funding. All these types of examples I can list off. But why is that? Why is no one focusing on it? It is a quite common human experience. It's a phenomenon that we tend to, most of the time, most of us, we tend to look on the surface. Yeah, we see the, the pick up the iceberg. We, we are not really interested to go and then see all those preparations that's sitting underneath that. See, for example, the people that they see success in life, you know, whatever that's supposed to mean to them. So they just see all these successful people and, oh, you know, like they make this much money. Their net worth is this thing and that thing. Or for example, they're looking at this team and say, oh, wow, you know, like this team is very effective. They're producing all these high quality products. What they don't see or they're reluctant to see is how many rounds of refinements and rounds of like from R&D all the way to personal development and the training and heaps of conversations, heaps of confrontations, actually. Like the, the effective teams, they assertively, authentically, directly communicate with each other. So we tend to not to see the deeper qualities everywhere. Now, you say, why? I mean, because it's easier. It's easy to just look into the surface because it it takes something. And sometimes when we are having these conversations around human qualities, it gets boring for a good number of people. They go, oh, no, I'm not interested. I'm I'm interested in fixing this problem. I go, I understand that you want to fix this problem. And perhaps you're seeking a kind of step-by-step guideline recipe, but that's a delusion. It doesn't work like that. This thing that is showing up in your organization and you want to immediately fix that. See, if you're getting this headache and you want to take this Panadol to just get rid of it. While the reality perhaps is like you need to go in and like see deeper matters that are going, the cause, like you may not drink, you know, may not drinking enough like water. So many, many things can be there or you didn't get enough sleep or so. Yeah, it's not just like you, you address something that on the surface, but it's easy. It's easy to stay in that inauthentic delusion. So a couple of things on that point, which is really interesting. Historically, do you think people looked under the surface more? And do you think as we traverse into the next five, 10 years, into the metaverse and all these other things going on, uh, do you think that we'll become even more surface in the future? Oh, that's a very good question. Well, see, the thing is, this has always been there. It's not like a new phenomenon. But why is that the case? Is, are we just fickle as human beings? Do we not care? Well, we are. We are. You know, like if you really want to be authentic, we are. Uh, we we led any force out there to plant the seed in our mind, you know. Uh, we're, we're not being really authentic collectively. I'll call this thing a collective psychosis sometimes. Like we, we let whatever to shape our opinion, this media channel that like news, this post on social media or et cetera, et cetera. And, and it takes something to actually develop this critical thinking manner or uh, what I would call it authenticity. Authenticity in a sense that you actually, you're not lenient to just 
let any external force to manipulate you. So we are like that. This is a this is a reality. But the good news is we can stop being that way and and transform. We can become more authentic and accurate to shape more congruent conception of different fractions of reality. And that's the thing that, that that's where I talk about like authentic awareness. That's that's the beginning if your aim is to be to to generate effective performance. Authentic awareness leads to effective performance. And all of uh, the high achievers that I've studied, they actually are quite aware. They know how money works. They know how their industry works. They know how people work. They know, you know, they're not already being shocked by the things that are happening. Now, going back to what you said, yeah, I think that while this has always been there, it's becoming a little bit more or more apparent as we're going because Everything is fast paced. Uh, like, and we are getting accustomed to these things. See, whatever movie you want to watch, you just go on Netflix and watch it immediately. Whatever way, whatever thing you want to buy, you just go on Amazon and through a couple of clicks, you're going to achieve that. So this instant gratification, this, this instant access that we got accustomed to is reinforcing whatever greatness that we want. It needs to be right there for us. But what we don't see is for that Amazon or Netflix or whatever thing that it's giving us that luxury, we created good number of people have worked rounds and rounds of rounds of things that they, they worked on the ideation, they raised funds, they communicated things, they dealt with changing behavior and, you know, like aligning people, articulating their value, offering, et cetera, et cetera, so that that happens. And Amongst that, like we have like all these security things, like the tech to, to be taken care of, the infrastructure, the software, the security, et cetera, et cetera. So going back to your question, I think that as we're going, if we don't tackle this, if we don't intentionally bring our consciousness, awareness to these matters, uh, the situation can get really worse. And that's exactly why I, as a philosopher, I'm really interested uh, in bringing the attention of people to this very matter. There are great leaders out there that they're so obsessed to take us human beings to another planet. I think what I'm very obsessed with and I chose intentionally is to bring human beings back on the earth. Meaning that metaphorically, I'm referring to us being more authentic, you know, like not staying in that delusional space, disassociating ourselves from the reality. The reality is human beings matter, our quality matter, how we relate to all these qualities that I've mentioned matter in order for us to create technology. And that's something that I'm doing my best to bring the attention of people. So love what you're saying. A lot of interesting points in there. One of which, when you were speaking, what came up in my mind was when you're talking about as we sort of progress now and, and in the future, because we can get instant gratification. And I think one of those things, and I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he's saying about, I don't know, Tinder or Hinge or whatever these newer platforms are. But it was this whole list of like how tall you are and like are you a smoker, non-smoker, which then means that when someone looks at your profile, instantly they either they determine whether based on what they see on the surface if they're going to connect with you or not connect with you or however it works. And that just blew my mind that we're even at this stage now where – Judging someone or, you know, like a book by its cover based on someone's height 
if they're a smoker or non-smoker, to me, we're feeding this beast of fickle, shallow behavior because of applications like this. Now this is just becoming normal. So I think that much to what you said, that it's instant gratification, we're even getting this in our personal lives now with your partner. So like, what, what do you think about that? Totally agree with you on this. See, we're living in the era that, you know, like you just swipe left or right to match with someone. This is what I call it in the ontological model. In the books, I call it higher purpose. It's a quality that lets you to go beyond yourself and beyond your time. And that's a very, very important quality for a leader. For example, as an entrepreneur, if you're this person who is like just chasing the money for yourself, and you're ignoring all these other people around you. You're ignoring the pain and the sufferings that your potential client, the, the market is going through. See, at the heart of any successful business lays a deep psychological human being problem. See, as a leader, if you don't see that, if you are not present to this thing that lots of people are actually complaining about, while they're complaining, you're going to be present to that and go, okay, there's a market here. How about I put my creativity and qualities and everything, my knowledge and things together and then team up with some other people, come up with a solution, validate that solution, communicate that solution with those people. If they resonate with your narrative, then they may come on board and then they may choose voluntarily to exchange money with that, whatever you have to offer. Yeah. And as far as they vote you E, I mean, they vote for your survival and growth, you're going to be there and you're going to be this thriving business. Uh, this perspective is not the perspective lots of small to medium-sized businesses out there that actually share. Going back to that higher purpose, delayed gratification is this thing that you want to get the reward for whatever you do right now, you're going to be stuck. You're not going to be this leader. You're not going to be this uh, entrepreneur. Also, if you cannot go beyond your time, that's another thing. See, if you go to like Italy, for example, and then you see this square that with the statues there, and then you see that that took like the artist, the main artist, like 70 years to, to build that. That was the time that the average lifespan of a human being was 45 years. And that's crazy. So this artist sort of knew that perhaps I don't get to complete this in my lifespan many great achievements of human being this applies to. And that's the thing. So if you don't have this higher purpose, being able to go beyond ourselves, caring about others, seeing what others, what, what's in it for others. And if we cannot go beyond our time and we want that instant gratification, you cannot lead. You cannot be this visionary person. You can push through and actually expand reality for everyone. This is exactly what people like Steve Jobs has done. Now, there is one question because we are running out of time, but I do want to bring you on to, to get deeper into this stuff because this is really interesting. Do you think people as they are today are delusional? We are in part delusional and that's the whole thing. And no one is perfect. And when I was talking about integrity, for example, when I talk about authentic awareness, no one is really whole and complete. We all have areas that it needs to be adverse, and that's the thing. So if you choose intentionally to be on, on that pathway or not, are you in this pathway of growth or regression? Which one? Or are you just standing still? Uh, so these are like the conscious decisions that we can, we can choose. But as for like delusional, well, there's a reality. It's a very confronting reality because we don't like it as human beings. You know, we want to be gods. We want to know everything. But there is this reality that we cannot know and understand 
anything in its totality. We don't have direct access to the truth. And that's very confronting. An authentic person would admit that, would acknowledge that. And yet they are being truth seekers and they go and try to get a clear understanding of the matters that like they choose. And then knowing that we're not going to get to the totality of that matter, even collectively. So this is a very confronting fact for us. And now the ones that are not truth seekers necessarily, they start creating parallel realities. And that's where the problem starts. And that's why in the book, I separate three different layers of reality. First layer reality being the absolutes of this work. The second layer reality is the shared reality. We negotiate it. Let's say, for example, many things that we have in our culture or legislations or taxation. And then we have the third layer reality, which is your personal reality. That's like your stories. And you can, you can change that uh, whenever they're not, they don't work for you. To go back to your question, uh, we are in part delusional. And that's one of the parts of my message that like we need to go towards becoming as authentically ever as possible. And that's extremely important because if you're not, then you don't even look into the areas that you actually need to address. So you cannot become intentionally effective in something that you're not aware of. I wanted to cover this because, yeah, I think no one has really ask these questions. I mean, it's a hard, these are hard questions to answer, right? And there's no like set way to answer nothing. There's no right or wrong necessarily. It's your opinion. But do you have any final statement for our audience today uh, that they can take away? And yeah, I just want to thank you again, Ashian, for your time. Yes, you said that this conversation can go on and on. Yes, and that's why I keep going with this even after writing like in the two books, I've articulated all this in almost 1,000 pages. And the thing is, I would like to bring this up that I understand technology to a good extent. See, I was a Microsoft certified trainer. I did my CompTIA security plusing. So I understand the cyberspace. So I'm building technologies with my, in my organizations. Some of them are quite innovative and everything. At the same time, I know that technology alone cannot necessarily be a good thing in leading humanity forward. Technology on itself, it creates tools, things that we can leverage. But if you don't bring that kind of humane intentionality into it, if there is a void of, of that, and then it's not necessarily going to take us forward. In part, we may go backward. And that's a massive concern I have as a philosopher who happens to be the technologist as well. This is great. I think that there's a lot of things that I took away and things to think about after this conversation as well. So I just want to thank you, Ashgan, for your time, uh, your thoughts, your insights, the work that you do. I know that it does take away from other things in your life that you're doing as well. And it's not an, you know, it's not an easy thing to wrap your head around. So I just want to uh, thank you again for your time, for coming on the show today and sharing your thoughts with our audience. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for your acknowledgement and having me here. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. This podcast is brought to you by MercSec, the specialists in security, search, and recruitment solutions. Visit MercSec.com to connect today. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.